Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. To get access to full transcripts and over 150 additional podcasts from our archive, please become our patron today by visiting livinghour.org slash patron. Thank you. Today's reading was edited and adapted from The Freedom of Life by Annie Payson Call, published in 1905. To most people, self-control means the control of appearances and not the control of realities. This is a radical mistake and must be corrected if we are to get a clear idea of self-control and if we are to make a fair start in acquiring it as a permanent habit. You are what you are by virtue of your own motives of thought and action by virtue of what your mind is, what your will is, and what you are in the resultant combination of mind and will. You are not necessarily what you appear from the outside. If someone is ugly to you, and you want to knock them down, and refrain from doing so simply because of what others might think, Your desire to knock that person down is still a part of yourself, and you have not controlled yourself until you are absolutely free from that desire. So long as you feel hatred toward another, you are in bondage to your hatred. And if, for the sake of appearances, you do not act or speak from that hatred, you are nonetheless at its mercy and it will find an outlet somewhere. Your attempt to control appearances is merely outward repression. A very common example of this may be observed in our efforts to control a laugh. If we repress it, it is apt to assert itself in spite of our best efforts. Whereas if we relax our muscles and let the sensation go through us, we can control our desire to laugh and so get free from it. When we repress a laugh, we are really holding on to it in our minds. But when we control it by relaxing the tension that comes from the desire to laugh, it's as if the sensation passed over and away from us. If you repress an expression of irritability, anger, or hatred, It is there in your brain just the same, and in one form or another, you are in bondage to it. Sometimes it will express itself in little meannesses. Sometimes it will affect your body and make you ill. Often it will keep you from being entirely well. But of one thing we can be sure, it will make you the instrument of something harmful in one way or another. Repressed wrongdoing, malevolence, whatever you want to call it, is not going to lie dormant in us forever. It will rise in active ferment, sooner or later. Its ultimate action is just as certain as a serious infection is certain to lead to physical disease if it is not counteracted. So, some of you are probably asking, 
What am I to do if I feel angry and want to hit someone in the face? I am not to actually hit them, am I? Rather than repress the urge? No, not at all. But you are to use your will to get in behind the desire to hit them. And by relaxing your mind and body. And stopping all resistance to their action. Remove that desire from yourself entirely. If you drop the anger from your mind and the tension from your body, you will have gained an opportunity of helping the other person if they are willing to be helped. And if you have cleared the atmosphere of your mind entirely, you can perhaps understand their point of view and give them the benefit of some consideration because you no longer are roused to personal retaliation. It is enlightening to recognize the fact that we are in bondage to any person to the extent that we permit ourselves to be roused to anger or resentment by their words or actions. When your brain is befogged with the fumes of anger and irritability, it can work neither clearly nor quietly. And when that is the case, it is impossible for you to serve yourself or others to your full ability. If another person has the power to rouse your anger or irritability, and you allow the anger or irritability to control you, you are of course subservient to your own bad state, and at the mercy of the person who has the power to excite those bad states just in so far as such excitement confuses your brain. Everyone has in them certain inherited and personal tendencies which are obstacles to their freedom of mind and body. And your freedom is limited just so far as you allow those tendencies to control you. If you control them by external repression, they are then working havoc within you no matter how thoroughly you may appear to be master of yourself. But if you acknowledge your bad tendencies fully, and willingly refuse to act, speak, or think from them, you are taking a straight path toward freedom of life and action. One great difficulty in the way of self-control is that we often do not want to get free from our anger. In such cases, we only want to want to. However, if we use the strength of will that is given to us to drop our resistance, in spite of our desire to be angry, we then begin working toward our freedom and real self-control. There is always a capacity for unselfish willpower, the will of the better self, behind the personal selfish will, ready and waiting for us to use. And it grows with use until finally it overrules the personal selfish will with a higher quality of power. It is only false strength that supports the personal will, a false appearance of strength which might be called willfulness, which leads ultimately to the destruction of its owner. Any true observer of human nature can recognize the weakness of mere selfish willfulness in another person, and can keep entirely free from its trammels 
by refusing to meet it in a spirit of resentment or retaliation. Real self-control, as compared to repression, is delightful in its effects when we have any difficult experience to anticipate or to go through. The opportunities for self-control are of course innumerable. Indeed, they constitute pretty much the whole of life. When we have won our freedom from resistance, we must use that freedom in action and put it directly to use. Sometimes it will result in a small action, sometimes in a great one. But whatever it is, it must be done. But if we drop the resistance and do not use the freedom gained thereby for active service, we shall simply react into further bondage from which it will be still more difficult to escape. Having dropped your antagonism to your most bitter enemy, you must do something to serve them if you can. If you find that it is impossible to serve them, you can at least be of service to someone else. And this action, if carried out in the true spirit of unselfish service, will go far toward the permanent establishment of your freedom and happiness. If a circumstance which is atrociously wrong in itself makes you indignant, the first thing to do is to drop the resistance of your indignation, and then do whatever may be within your power to prevent the continuance of such wrong. Many people weaken their powers of service by their own indignation, when, if they would cease their excited resistance, they would see clearly how to remedy the wrong that arouses their antagonism. It is our selfish motives that corrupt us to repression, which is in truth counterfeit, and for the sake of appearances alone. We must become introspective. We must see these motives, recognize and turn away from them in order to control ourselves and set ourselves in the line with what is right. We cannot possibly see our motives unless we look within for them. And if we look into ourselves for the sake of freedom, for the sake of our greater power for service, for the sake of true self-control, what can lead us better to the healthy habit of looking out from ourselves into the lives and interests of others? The farther we work from motives that are truly unselfish, the sooner we shall get out of our own shadows, and the wider our horizon will be. And the wider our horizon, the greater our power for useful service. There must, of course, be a certain period of self-consciousness in the process of finding true self-control, but it is for the sake of an end which brings us more and more fully into a state of happy, quiet spontaneity. If we work carefully for true self-control, we will welcome unexpected searchlights from other minds. If a searchlight brings into prominence a bit of irritation, so much the better. For how could we free ourselves from it without knowing that it was there in the first place? And as soon as we discover it, we can then control it and cast it off. 
A healthy introspection is merely the use of our own searchlight for the sake of personal growth, and circumstances often will turn it full upon us, greatly to our advantage, if we do not wince but act upon the knowledge that it brings. A wholesome and true introspective habit can indeed bring us every day a better sense of proportion and a clearer outlook. So to sum up, let us remember that real self-control is not self-centered. It is the subjugation of selfishness in whatever form it may exist, and its entire subordination is to spiritual and natural laws. In so far as we master true self-control, we are upheld and guided by the power of the divine to a perfect freedom and the joy of a useful life. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. Get the best of our podcast in heirloom hardcover or digital ebook by visiting inspirationallifelessons.com. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.